0: Hello, and welcome to Market Matters, Thompson Hines' podcast series that explores critical legal and regulatory issues affecting the investment management industry. I'm Joanne Strasser, a partner in the Investment Management Group. Today's topic is best practices for selecting board members for investment companies. Joining me today is Jim Jensen. Jim is a practicing corporate attorney and the founder of Clearwater Law and Governance Group a firm that specializes in counseling clients on corporate governance matters. Jim also serves as an independent trustee for two mutual fund complexes, for one of which he serves as the independent chair. Jim, thank you for joining me.
1: Hello, Joanne, and thank you for inviting me to participate. The nominating committee process is terribly important to an effective, productive board, and I'm delighted to share a few thoughts on this topic.
0: Jim, are there some key things to keep in mind when seeking new board members?
1: Sure, Joanne. Of course, first, one should be clear on the legal and governance requirements. You want to start there.
0: Yes, that's a good point. As you know, there are specific requirements under the 40 Act regarding the number of required independent trustees or directors, and the number of those trustees that must be elected by shareholders. In addition, each investment company's declaration of trust or articles of organization in the case of a corporation and the bylaws have additional requirements regarding the composition of the board and the election of trustees. So for purposes of this discussion, let's assume that this is a board of trustees and the board has determined to add one or more new trustees to the board, whether it's to fill a vacancy or to expand the size of the board. So what's next?
1: Well, for now, let's assume that this new vacancy will not require a vote of shareholders, so the appointment is controlled by the board members. If there is a standing nominating committee at the board level, the committee members will consult the charter and proceed in accordance with the charter. Of course, if there is no standing nominating committee, the board would select an ad hoc nominating committee and would give that committee instructions on how to proceed. And, of course, the full board should decide how many trustees would be added.
0: And those instructions or the provisions of the charter, they're likely to be at a relatively high level. So as a member of such a committee, Jim, how would you approach the task of identifying potential candidates?
1: In my experience, Joanne, the candidate selection process should be delayed until the board is clear on what is wanted. Ideally. The board should have identified those skills and experiences which, if added to the board, will improve the quality of its deliberations and oversight. Some of those insights might be bubbled to the surface through the annual self-assessment that the board performs, or the committee might use alternative procedures to gain those insights and to get buy-in from the current trustees.
0: So would those desired skills and experience largely be the same from one board to the next? Not necessarily.
1: Desired skills can vary for a variety of factors, including the nature of the funds in the complex, the distribution channels used by the funds, and any specific challenges the complex might be up against. In addition, the needs of a single board will change over time, The board should always start with a look at the skills and experiences of the current trustees and don't overlook the need for further diversity to deepen the quality of deliberations and governance.
0: Let's assume that you've identified the attributes or qualifications that you're interested in from the new trustee. What's the next step? Where do you find candidates who will demonstrate some or all of those desired characteristics?
1: That's a key part, Joanne. Nominated committees have access to potential candidates through industry organizations like the Mutual Fund Directors Forum. Those candidates may seem like a blind date, but they can be a source for identifying candidates with the desired skills and worthy of consideration. Boards also may get suggestions from the advisor or other service providers and of course from other board members. Care should be taken in this space. Some people have suggested, in fact, that a candidate recommended by the advisor, by definition, is not independent.
0: I have seen current trustees press for a known colleague to be added to the board. What do you think about that type of promotion?
1: Well, it is reassuring to have confirmation of the credentials of a known candidate, and first-hand knowledge is very persuasive. But there is a danger of fishing in the same pool too often and that approach is likely to rob the the shortlist of the diversity of candidates the board may wish to consider.
0: What do you think about using a headhunter or some type of professional recruiter?
1: Headhunters can take much of the work off the shoulders of the nominating committee, and the expense can be justified. Some folks desire to be closer to the process and wish to stay more hands-on. You want to explore most fertile spaces, and ICI and MFDF, Have lists. If your selection criteria includes a familiarity with the 40 Act industry, then that is a good place to look for candidates.
0: We should also briefly discuss the desirability of diversity on an investment company board. There's no requirement that an investment company have a diverse board, but I understand that some diligence firms consider board diversity when evaluating the governance structure of a fund. In your view, Are there other reasons to make diversity a priority, or at least a consideration in this process?
1: Well, Joanne, I've read studies that show benefits to group decision-making by adding outside or different or diverse views. The great challenge, of course, is to avoid the Hobson choice. You want a candidate that brings the desired experience and credentials, and diversity uh, of the candidate, different background of that candidate, can be an important aspect but you don't want to compromise on other important selection criteria just to get a poorly qualified but uh, different candidate
0: i should point out that in addition to the rules on independence the 40 act prohibits board participation by individuals that have certain events in their background so it's important that any candidate complete a questionnaire before being nominated fund council should provide that questionnaire review it, and discuss any issues with the committee. Jim, I'd like to hear your thoughts on consulting with the officers of the trust or other members of the management team. In my view, management should be consulted before adding a trustee, particularly when it requires a shareholder vote uh, due to the additional expenses that will be incurred as a result. But once the decision is made to add a trustee, how much input from management do you think is reasonable?
1: This is a good point, Joanne. I've been assuming that the election or appointment would be accomplished by an appointment to fill a vacancy that the board has created. But if a shareholder vote is required, of course, that takes time and money and planning. As for management input on the credentials, they certainly can recommend candidates, but they shouldn't be the sole source. The committee really should look beyond the recommendations of management. And most funds are subject to the governance rules under the 40 Act, which requires that only the independent directors can nominate a new independent trustee.
0: It sounds to me like the entire process of determining whether to add a trustee, identifying the needs of the board, finding a qualified candidate, and then evaluating the candidate and making a final decision can be a lengthy process. In my experience, the committee will want to interview the strongest candidates in person or by video before making a decision. In your experience, how long should any board expect this search and evaluation process to last?
1: You're right about that, Joanne. A board may be surprised by a vacancy, but customarily one can see this coming for months or years in advance. A period of at least six months should be assumed a minimum. Remember, the selection team is the board itself, and the trustees have other lives. Participation of fund council and independent council can make this process move more smoothly.
0: And then, of course, you must consider the time it will take to solicit a shareholder vote, assuming shareholder approval is necessary to add your candidate to the board. Jim, thank you so much for agreeing to share your thoughts on this important governance topic. For all of you listening, our guest for Market Matters today has been James Jensen of Clearwater Law and Governance from Salt Lake City, Utah. Thank you, Jim, and thank you all for listening to Market Matters. We hope you found the information shared during today's program valuable. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic or Thompson Hines Investment Management Group, please visit ThompsonHine.com. With approximately 400 lawyers and seven offices, Thompson Hine is a full service business law firm recognized for innovation and client service. Our Smart Path approach provides clients with service that is predictable, efficient, and aligned with their goals.